coming up. It didn't get done. The tree fell in the windstorm last September, sparked the Zog fire. Four people aren't with us anymore because of it. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In 2020, the Zog wildfire in Shasta County, California, burned roughly 56,000 acres, destroyed 204 structures, and killed four people. If you've got a known hazard that sits for two years, it's just not an accident. They knew it was there, they left it, they didn't remove it, and people died. This past September, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company was charged in connection with the deaths. A federal judge found PG&E contractors marked this tree as a hazard back in 2018, but the company never followed up to cut it down. They know that there's a risk. They know that risk could cause great bodily injury or even death, and they do it anyway. They disregard it. No one should have to go through that. No one. Brandon Riddiman joins us from Sacramento, where he's been covering today's case for ABC 10. Brandon, before we get into the criminal case here, tell us a little bit about the Zog wildfire. Where was it and and what happened? Yeah, so the Zog fire burned in the hills above Redding in uh, Shasta County. It's in Northern California, a fairly rural county. Uh, Redding's the biggest city in the county seat. This was in the small communities of Igo and Ono, really small towns up in the forested hills uh, just to the west of town. Happened on a really windy day last September, a day when PG&E was warning that it was going to turn people's power off uh, for proactive wildfire prevention shutoffs. They did do that in other parts of Northern California that day. They did not do it on the circuit that caused this fire. PG&E admits that its power line caused the fire, denies that it was a crime. And PG&E is the gas and electric company out there. It's the largest single utility in terms of power companies in the United States. One out of every 20 Americans gets their electricity from PG&E. 16 million people, almost the size of the population of New York, and a physical territory the size of Oklahoma. And just to set the scene a little bit, the 2020 wildfire season, as I'm sure we all remember, was historically bad on the West Coast of the United States. There were multiple different fires that spanned hundreds of thousands of acres each By comparison, the Zog fire burned just over 50,000 acres, but as I understand it, it caused a tremendous amount of structure damage and the loss of four lives. Can you tell us a little bit about the victims of this fire? Yeah, I've spent time uh, talking with some of them, and it's absolutely tragic. So this fire breaks out in the afternoon on a Sunday and sends people just running for their lives almost immediately uh, all over the hill above Igo. And on the street where where it happened, Zogmine Road uh, is how the fire got its name. One woman burned to death. Uh, She got in a separate car from her husband. They drove down the hill. Um, She basically, they lost sight of one another. So the husband lost sight in the rearview mirror. She had talked to a firefighter at one point trying to run away, said, hey, I think there's people trapped up there. That firefighter then found her lying dead next to her car down the road. A little bit later that day, another man, uh, that, that was Karen King. She was 79 years old. Kenneth Vossen, uh, down the hill, he was on an ATV, caught on fire, tried to jump into a pond, suffered burns over 90% of his body, and died later at the hospital in, in the burn unit at UC Davis Medical Center. And then there's um, Fela and Elena McLeod. 
uh, mother and daughter, uh, and I've spent a lot of time with their family. This is an eight-year-old girl and her mom who lived at the end of a dirt road called Archer Road, and they borrowed um, the husband and father. Zach McLeod was away at the time for work, so they borrowed a pickup truck from their landlord and neighbor and tried to get down the hill. Uh, And in the smoke, in the chaos, the truck ran off the road and into the burning forest. And on her way out, the neighbor who'd loaned the pickup truck saw it engulfed in flames. And it would take some, I believe, a couple days for the coroner to identify that it was, in fact, Elena and Vela who died inside that truck. Our top story, the aftermath of the Zog fire, which killed four people in the hills west of Reading. We recently learned that fire investigators seized parts of a PG&E power line as evidence right in the area where the fire started. And after the fire, there's then an investigation into what caused it. Take us through what we started to learn about how this fire got started. Well, we learned a lot more about this fire than we would in other circumstances because the lone suspect in causing it is PG&E. And PG&E, people don't think of companies as really being able to be criminals, but PG&E is a repeat criminal. It was on federal probation at the time of this fire and at the time of the 2018 campfire, which was also a criminal case, the deadliest fire in California history. And that means they're under the supervision of a federal judge. The first rule of federal criminal probation is thou shalt not commit more crimes. So whenever there's a suspicion that an offender has committed another crime while on probation, it triggers the ability of a federal judge to get involved. And he did. Judge William Alsop supervises this case. He inherited it from Judge Henderson, who tried the the San Bruno case, is what they're actually on federal probation for. This was a gas pipeline explosion back in 2010. PG&E committed six felonies in that case. They were found guilty by a jury, including obstruction of justice, obstructing the federal investigation into the disaster that killed eight people. They weren't tried with homicide that time. They did plead guilty to 84 homicides just last year in the 2018 campfire that destroyed the town of Paradise. And then three months after they walked out of a courtroom having pled guilty and said, this will never happen again, here we are. And what we learned from that judge is that PG&E had marked a unsafe pine tree leaning in the direction of its power line that we now know had obvious wildfire damage from a past fire uh, according to CAL FIRE's investigation, that should have been identified and removed, pg had marked it, or its contractors rather did, in 2018, and then it never got removed. So it stood there for two years, and despite the fact that pg has a legal obligation to remove or trim trees that could threaten power lines and cause wildfires, it didn't get done. The tree fell in the windstorm last September, sparked the Zog fire, Four people aren't with us anymore because of it. The district attorney filed 11 felony charges against the company today, including four counts of manslaughter and another 20 misdemeanors. Corporate homicide cases aren't something we see too often. How does a company being charged with homicides look different from an individual being charged with homicides? Well, in theory, we have corporate personhood in America, which means that corporations are to be treated the same as people. For all intents and purposes, as a, as a concept, they're a fictional person, which means they can be charged and convicted of crimes. But unlike an actual person, they haven't got arms to put handcuffs on. So prison simply isn't an option. 
And if you want to know how that plays out, um, you know, against the four manslaughter charges that were just pressed, we can look to the 84 manslaughters that they pleaded guilty to just last year in Paradise. They paid the maximum fine, the same one you or I would pay if we were convicted of involuntary manslaughter felonies, which is $10,000 per death, but they got none of the prison time. So the judge in that case looked right at PG&E's CEO and lawyers and said, this this case deserves 90 years in prison, but I can't give it to you. And so they paid this rather small fine and walked out of court. The fine was so small, PG&E made the amount of revenue that it paid in that fine. It was about $3 million uh, on, in less time than it took for the executives to drive back to San Francisco. PG&E makes $10,000 in 17 seconds. So this wasn't a particularly meaningful criminal punishment to them. And there's a whole other side story that we've investigated. You can look it up at firepowermoney.com that, that tells how the state essentially bailed them out of the civil side of all this. And the end result of those two things is that PG&E is still in power and in a position to allegedly commit more crime. You mentioned that the specific charges here connected to the Zogfire deaths are manslaughter charges, but I understand that prosecutors were considering murder charges before settling on those manslaughter charges, right? They were, and part of the reason that they were has to do with the Paradise case. At the end of the court session where PG&E pleaded guilty to those 84 manslaughters, the prosecutor gave what's called a Watson advisement. And, and that is something that comes out of, uh, I believe, DUI law, where you you essentially put the offender on notice, like next time it's murder. And so they were given that advisement. Now, the practical reality is that a second-degree murder charge comes at least close bordering on intent. And what I heard from the prosecutors is they they just haven't turned up evidence of that, at least not at this stage in their investigation. And so they felt like involuntary manslaughter is the thing that they can prove. So they wanted to charge what they felt they could prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And I should say involuntary manslaughter versus voluntary manslaughter is a bit of a a distraction in this case. Voluntary manslaughter is a crime of passion, so it really just doesn't apply. So that just for anyone who might be wondering about that word involuntary, it, it, it's just technically the statute that applies here. The Zogfire should not have happened. It was preventable. In an exclusive interview with ABC10, Shasta County DA Stephanie Bridget said she considered charging PG&E with second-degree murder, but ended up charging involuntary manslaughter, the same felony offense PG&E pleaded guilty to 84 times in Butte County for killing people in the campfire. We want to file what we know we can prove. What's the punishment then in this case if PG&E is convicted of these four manslaughters? We, we talked about how you can't send a company to prison. We talked about the, the previous punishment and in the, in their previous conviction. What would happen here? It'd be the same $10,000 per death for the manslaughter charges, uh, the felonies. There are other crimes alleged. The, the complaint has 31 charges in it, uh, including environmental crimes. There's crimes, uh, arson-type crimes in there. And so that would up the penalty some. And you have the potential for the court to impose other restrictions in sentencing and get maybe a little creative with the sentence. But it wouldn't put them on federal probation any longer. Their federal probation is 
to expire in January. So it's unlikely to lead to the kind of supervision they've been under as a result of the San Bruno crimes, but it is possible that they would have other conditions imposed on them at, at sentencing. But the end result is no one would go to prison unless a human being, individuals inside PG&E end up being charged. Right. Every company is made up of individual decision makers. Is there a world in which individuals at PG&E could still face charges in this case? Have investigators talked about that possibility being on the table still? It is still on the table. So the reason the charges were announced just before the one-year anniversary of this fire is California's statute of limitations on misdemeanors requires that prosecutors bring the charges before the one-year anniversary of the alleged criminal act. They really wanted to charge some of these misdemeanors, including the environmental crimes in this case. And the only way that they felt they could prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt was to get it filed against the corporate entity. There's a three-year statute of limitations on most felonies in California, longer on some like murder, And that gives another couple of years for the prosecutors to continue to develop this case and potentially charge a person or multiple people inside PG&E, possibly some of their subcontractors that do some of this work. We just don't know. We understand they were trying to have that ready by the one-year anniversary, but they're, they're still working on it. But the fact that they're talking about it openly is an interesting sign and one that the the victims are looking to, uh, you know, hoping that that'll come to fruition. You still have time to to potentially go put someone in handcuffs if you find the right person and facts behind the case. Oh, absolutely. And that is something we are definitely looking at. What else have we heard from the family members of, of these victims following this news about the charges being brought? What has their reaction been? So I've spent several hours many times, actually, with the McLeod family. I'm Zach McLeod. This is my mother, Susanna Bewley, and my stepfather, Rob Hunt. And, you know, they're they're devastated, as, as I, I really can't do words to what their life is like now. I mean, they wake up every morning with a hole, you know, in their hearts. It's a fight just to get up every morning and get out of bed. Um, I left on Sunday morning to go work at their house, fully expecting to come home to my family. I went to go get um, breakfast for dinner and never got to go home. Still haven't. They're missing a, a daughter and a mother. And getting up every day is really difficult. But they continue to speak out. And we keep hearing from Zach McLeod, the father, and also Susie Bewley, the, the grandmother of Fela, have really made a point to keep this story alive and speak for those, you know, this little girl and her mom. But yeah, we are excited to, um, to see them, you know, be held accountable as they should be. And, you know, it would be nice to see, um, some laws be changed a little bit to make it easier to go after corporations like this when they continually, you know, do wrong, hurt people when they're in charge of something that, you know, can take someone's life. They don't want to see it happen to anyone else. And they want to see real change. And accountability has been elusive in the PG&E story to date. They want to see something force these preventable fires to stop. Now, PG&E on its side will portray this as a climate change story that 
the landscape has really changed on us and we're scrambling and we're doing everything we can to stop this and it's not a crime. It's just that things got a lot more dangerous out here. PG&E's CEO, Patty Poppy, didn't take questions about why she believes the fire wasn't a crime. In this pre-recorded corporate video shot the day before the charges came out, she accepted that PG&E's power line sparked the Zog fire. She also emphasized the charges are against the PG&E corporation, a corporation made of people. My coworkers are not criminals. We welcome our day in court so people can learn just that. But, you know, I've talked to victims of their wildfires, including in the campfire. One, one of the next of kin of, uh, of one of the victims there told me, you know, climate change, what it should do is tell us that we need to be more on top of safety, not, oh, it isn't our fault. And that's sort of the disconnect. It's very easy to point at the conditions that underlie these fires and say, oh, you know, look how much worse it's getting. But the climate is not responsible for PG&E's criminal behavior. In the case of the campfire, they neglected parts for decades that they knew were wearing down. They simply cut maintenance to the point where it was impossible to find those problems. And lo and behold, one of these hooks broke and dropped a power line into a metal tower after it had been rotting away in a windy canyon for years. Different set of circumstances here. We're talking about a tree, but PG&E has an obligation to go out and cut trees. It had contractors going out there marking the trees. They identified this one as a problem. It ended up on a spreadsheet that didn't talk to PG&E's spreadsheet. Somewhere... Here is a story of a system that PG&E has made that did not follow up on a known problem. Right, and as you mentioned, they marked that tree as a potential problem years before this fire. Yeah, yeah, back in 2018 after the the car fire, which burned shortly before Paradise burned down. And then, you know, the, the company says a lot of its resources got pulled up to Paradise to respond to that fire. You know, but that doesn't excuse the obligation of the company to follow up on what it found, you know, and that's what the prosecutors will be uh, alleging if and when this goes to trial. In my opinion, someone should have marked it, stayed right there, called someone, and had it cut right then and there. What is the next thing that happens in this case? What's the next date that you're looking forward to? Well, at the moment, the timeline is still kind of coming together. We're waiting to see what pretrial activity is going to happen against the corporate entity but on a twin track is that continued investigation. You know, the prosecutors are, are developing evidence, developing sources, hoping that they can identify some of the decision makers inside PG&E who are responsible for the system I just described, the system that allowed this tree to fall through the cracks. It's unclear how long that might take, but again, they've got a couple of years under the statute of limitations, so it could go dark for a little while, or we could see pg e back in a courtroom. And I should mention, this isn't the only felony case pending against pg e They've also got one in Sonoma County for a fire that didn't kill anyone. Uh, that was the Kincaid fire in 2019. The end result here is that, that pg e has had a large wildfire blamed on it every year since it burned down the town of Paradise, uh, including the Dixie fire that's still burning now is the single largest fire in California history and has almost reached a million acres. 
Well, we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on your reporting as this moves forward. For anyone interested in learning more, you can head over to firepowermoney.com. Brandon Riddeman, thanks for sharing the story. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Reed. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. If you're a regular listener and you got a second, feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more from us, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. <laughs>